Welcome to the Lost Roman Heroes podcast. My name is Matthew. Mine is Matteo. And together we're diving deep into the history of Rome from its founding to its death, uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way, and ranking them. Welcome to episode number 22. And a big one it is. Oh, a really big one. Julius Caesar, part one. Gaius Julius Caesar. Yeah. Gaius Julius Caesar, part one. Yep. To our listeners, we made a promise to you early on not to do multi-episode characters, but we told you from, I think, the very first episode, Matteo called it, that Caesar was going to be one of these that was going to take more than one episode to cover. Yeah. We thought we were going to do it in two. It might be three. And it might be three. And Actually, it, it will be three. And it's going to be three and a tiny little smidgy poo into a fourth. Yeah. So... Some of you may be happy about that. Some of you may be a little disappointed, but it's our podcast, so <laughs> deal with it. That's true. It is our podcast. Um, I have to tell you, Mateo, I've been, I've been looking forward to this, but I've also been dreading it. I've been dreading Caesar. Why? I don't know, because he's such a titan in the history of humankind. Yeah. Who, who, who are we to be doing podcast episodes <laughs> And talking about how who, and how, then, how and how good he was militarily. Yeah, like we're just two but schmoes. Two schmoes, and we're gonna rank him on a scale of zero to ten. So yeah, I've been I've been <laughs> dreading this a little bit. Um, I've been loving the research, and I just hope we do him right. I kind of feel like as I did with Scipio, you just want to do you want to do him right. Yeah. I have one question up front for you, Matteo, because I've been thinking about this, and we, you and I talked about it briefly. Our podcast is about lost Roman heroes. Mm. Caesar is not lost. Of course, he's not lost. So what are we doing here? I mean, I feel like we got to talk about him, though. I mean, what does lost even mean? We're talking about lost to the general public or lost to, to history? Because in that sense, Scipio's not really lost. He had studied in military uh, colleges and... And academies and stuff like that. But definitely lost to the general public, though. Exactly. General public doesn't know. The general public doesn't really know a lot about. I mean, do they do they really know a lot about? What do Caesar you think too? they know? When when the general public hears Caesar, what do they think? That he was a, a conqueror and he got killed. Rubicon. Maybe they think Rubicon. I don't know. Nobody knows what the Rubicon is. To no. Be honest <laughs> Let's be honest. I don't think any of them know. Okay. Okay. Well. Okay. So. So I guess we're covering him. He's not lost. But I think we're covering. We want to test this hero concept, right? Yeah, I think that's what it's about more than anything. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, maybe it shouldn't be lost Roman heroes, but it's just Roman heroes. Yeah, but it just doesn't sound as nice. And plus, most of them are lost because most people don't know anything about Rome. Right, so it's fine. So it's fine. We'll make some exceptions. All right, so we're covering Caesar. He is a giant. He's a titan. And enough, enough preamble. Let's get rolling, Matteo. Let's jump into this thing. But one last thing, like, there have been so many podcasts and books and movies on this guy. What are we going to add here? Our own little spice? I mean, obviously. Okay, all right. Okay. I mean, come on, man. Okay, all right, let's do it. Wake up. Okay. Okay, I'm awake. Here we go. So, Caesar. First, we orient ourselves as we do every episode on the map and in time. On the map, Matteo, we're in Rome. Caesar was born in Rome. And okay. we know exactly when, actually very close to your birthday. He was born on July 12th in the year 100 BC. Okay. The same year we think that Labinus was born, his good buddy, that he killed in the last episode. Right. And in terms of world history, Matteo, you usually do a bit here kind of giving us a little parallel history around the world. But we're in the same place. Yeah, we've been in the same place for seven episodes. So we have. And thank you to our listeners for Barents. We're going to move on soon, but we got to get through Caesar. This thing has been looming large in, uh, kind of in the pipeline, so here we are. Let's, let's get into his origin story, Matteo. I want to take you back in time a little bit. Mm-hmm. Will you come on a trip with me? Sure. Okay, I'm not going to make any yeah, weird sound effects. No, those are long gone. I stopped that episodes ago, many episodes ago. <sighs> Good. You remember Alba Longa? Yeah. Which was founded by Aeneas of Troy. Mm-hmm. 
The OG Rome. Yeah, OG, exactly. Yeah, we'll put OG Rome. So Aeneas had a son, Mateo, who ruled Alba Longa after him, and from whom descended Romulus and Remus and that whole story that we've mm-hmm. already covered. Right. That son's name was Julius. Okay. And from there, we get the Julii. Hmm. And since Aeneas was descended from Venus and Julius was descended from Aeneas, the Julii were descended from a god. Okay. You with me? Yeah. And the Julii fled to Rome, Matteo, we think, or legend says, during the reign of the third king of Rome, which was Tullus Hostilius. That's what you call blue blood. Right. Right? Okay. Now, wouldn't you say? I mean, I would say. You don't get much bluer blood than that. That is, that is true, yeah. Descended from the founder of Rome. Descended from a god. Right. So that was Gnaeus Julius Caesar. It's not Gaius? Uh, yeah, it is Gaius Julius Caesar. Sorry. Whoopsie. You oh, see? Dude, that's a big one, man. That's a big one. That's, that's what a... you get when you put us in charge. of do- Oh, man. I was nervous about this episode. I told you I was a little bit worried. And here we are. I'm botching it from the get-go. So Caesar, Mateo, let's talk about that name. Because you asked me, I think it was in the last episode, is that a, is that a cognomen? I don't know. That's what I did ask about. Yes. You did. You asked about it. And that's why I'm putting it out there. You wanted to know, is that a cognomen or not? And I get... I can't believe I said nice. I did a little research, and it turns out that Caesar, A-R, that R sound, is a very weird sound in Latin. It almost doesn't exist. And so Caesar is not a Latin name. Really? Yeah, it's, it's a cognomen, all right. You are absolutely right. Where did it come from? There, there, you can go down the rabbit hole on this. There are like seven or eight different possible explanations of where Caesar, the cognomen, came from, the name came from. And the most likely seems to be, Matteo, you're going to love this. It came from a Carthaginian word for elephant, which was Kezai, C-A-E-S-A-I. Mm-hmm. Or Cezai. Or Cezai. But probably not. Yeah, but I think Caesar was probably announced, pronounced Kezai, right? Yeah, because weren't the Caesar pronounced as Kez? I think then? so. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, it was probably... It was Seleucia, not Seleucia. Right? Yeah, it was Seleucid. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so yeah. Yeah. So we think that this theory says that one of Caesar's ancestors was a praetor in the Second Punic War, which was the one in which our boy Scipio Africanus defeated Hannibal. And in that war, this ancestor of Caesar's killed an elephant, and he was granted this cognomen. Elephant. Elephant. <laughs> exactly. That's his nickname. Jonathan Elephant. Yeah. Yeah, and, and apparently this is something that Caesar embraced as well because he used an elephant on different uh, kind of insignia or, or, or uh, um, works of art associated with him. So okay. Julius, Gaius, Julius, elephant. All right. That's our dude. Nice. Yeah. So cool pedigree. But by the time Julius Caesar was born, and you don't like me saying JC, right? No. Okay, I'm not going to say JC. That's like Jesus Christ. It is, although not many people nickname Jesus Christ JC. Well, but that's JC, you know? Okay. That's like having someone else called Rock and then you start calling him Rocky. Like, there's only one Rocky. <laughs> You're right, there's only one Rocky. So, by the time that Caesar was born, I'm going to be calling him Caesar throughout the episode. By the time Caesar was born... This incredible family of his, this blue blood patrician line going back to the gods, was sort of irrelevant. Yeah, super broke. So broke that he was born in the slums. Rough neighborhood by the name of Subura. And that's where the workers lived, Matteo, in the city of Rome. And it's also where the red light district was. Nice. Houses of ill repute. Yeah, needless to say, wealthy patricians did not live in Subura. They lived on the Palatine. In the Capitoline. And I think, they, I think I made a mistake there in my notes. I think they lived on the Palatine, oh, okay. where the palaces were. Uh, and that, that's where the word palace comes from. Thanks. Yeah. I connected those dots. I, I suspected that you did. All right. All right. So these guys, they may have been patricians, they may have had noble blood, but they lived in the slums. Caesar had a father, Matteo, with the same name. 
He was also a Gaius Julius Caesar. He was a senator. Uh, he held the rank of praetor at one point, and his highest position was as governor of Asia in the year 91 BC. So the guy was definitely good, but not... He was still broke. But he was still broke. He wasn't great. He didn't make money as being governor of Asia, though? Well, he only had one term as governor of Asia because he died shortly thereafter. Huh. Maybe if he got another go-round or two, he could have milked it like most governors did. You're absolutely right. That was the surest path to, to wealth and prominence was being a governor. Uh, but this wasn't... So he was a guy. He was a big guy. He wasn't a big guy with a capital right. B. He was just... Right. He, was, he was a guy rising through the ranks. Right. His dad married well, a woman named Aurelia. And that was a family that had multiple consuls in it recently. She was extremely high re- highly regarded, Mateo. She was beautiful. She was smart. She was like another one of those ideal Roman women. Right. And because his dad was often traveling for work, the mom, Aurelia, basically raised Caesar. Okay. All right. He had an interesting family beyond mom and dad. The father had a sister who married Mateo really well. Very, very well. Because she married... Marius. Old man Marius. And as you and I know, and our listeners probably do too, because we covered this a few episodes ago, that family connection with Marius was a mixed blessing for Caesar. It was cool for a while. Yeah, it was cool for a while until Sula came to town. Right. And in in 84 BC, Matteo, Caesar is now 16 years old. Your age. His dad died while he was putting on his shoes. Bent down to tie his shoelaces, dead. Damn. Yeah. He must have really never did exercise. Yeah, <laughs> probably not too much. Not too much time uh, hitting the weights or, or doing cardio. So he had, he had a small estate. They were poor. He left that small estate to Caesar, but we know that it wouldn't stay in Caesar's hands for long. Right. So there we are really on the cusp of Caesar's story, Matteo. And to our listeners, if you go to our website, www.lostromanheroes.com, in the images section for this episode, episode 22, you're going to see the only known portrait produced of Julius Caesar in his lifetime. No kidding. The only one. What? The only one. How? I don't know. Everything else was posthumous, post-death. No way. Yep. This is known as the Tusculum portrait. What do you think? Uh, He just looks like every other character we've ever covered, so... Not too much hair. No. It doesn't even look like a full Caesar cut, so... Yeah, not too much hair. I think he's brushing forward whatever he could brush forward, and the rest was, you know, you can only do so much. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? I also assume that there were thousands upon thousands of busts of Caesar done in his maybe lifetime. Maybe he wasn't such an egomaniac as we thought. Maybe. A humble egomaniac. Or maybe he didn't have time, although, I mean, Augustus, well, we'll get to it in Augustus, but maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe he was still bound by some of the old humility about these things. So, that's where we are, Matteo, and right away, right around the time of his dad's death, we start to get a little trouble in Caesar's life. So, Mm -hmm. Caesar was appointed, shortly after his dad died, a priest of Jupiter. He was, this was, there were different colleges of priests in ancient Rome, Matteo. One of them were the priests of Jupiter, known as the Flamen Dialis. And he was appointed in that position by Cinna, do you remember Cinna, the consul? Uh, he was a friend of, what's his name? Old Man Marius. Yeah, Marius. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I remember. Yep. Friend of Old Man Marius, which meant he was a bitter enemy of, of Sulla. Sulla, even though Sulla is the one that appointed him, if you recall. I do remember, because Sulla was saying that he didn't want to be unfair, so he yeah. wanted to have a Marian supporter as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. For you nailed it. For some reason. For some reason. Sulla was, that I think, was too good. Sulla got a bad rap. Has gotten a bad rap. He has in gotten history. a bad rap, yeah. Well, not in the Lost Roman Heroes podcast because he's ranked right up there tied for number one with Scipio yeah, Africanus. That's true. Even though you don't want him to be. Even though I think he should be taken down to tiny little half peg. But whatever. He's there, it's done. So Caesar is appointed. He's like 16, 17 years old, Matteo. He's appointed to this priesthood, which is a high honor, but it's a double edged sword. And I bet you want to know why. Because Sulla is going to go for him now. Well, that, but first of all, priests in the priest of, to be a priest of Jupiter meant you could not pursue a political career by law. So, mixed blessing. Yeah, it's an honor, but, but you're, you're also, blocked. You're done. There's no cursus honorum for you. You'll never be consul. Mm-hmm. 
And this was this implicit in this was Cinna did not expect a lot of Julius Caesar. He's like, ah, you know what, kid, just be a priest, and I'll let you marry my daughter Cornelia, which he did. Very young, by the way. You're not getting married that young. Just telling you right now. I, I yeah. I mean, unless unless she's like a billionaire or something. Unless really that's right. Unless she's a billionaire, and then you just marry for money and close your eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So in 82 BC, Mateo, Caesar's set up. He's got just got married. He's a teenager. He's a priest. And then Sulla comes back to town and he starts, and we know Cinna's dead at that point. And Sulla starts cleaning house in Rome. First of all, he annulled all of Cinna's appointments. Like whatever Cinna did, done, illegal. Right. Including Caesar's appointment to the priesthood. And Sulla reached out to little boy Caesar and said, buddy, renounce your priesthood and divorce Cornelia. This guy's like 18 right now. And guess what the 18-year-old did? No, man, screw you. You guessed it. He said, no, man, screw you to Sulla. I am not divorcing my wife. Was she great, too? Was she great? Yeah. In what sense? Like, was she an like, ideal beautiful. woman? Beautiful. Oh, well? no, actually, no. She doesn't have such a fantastic reputation. We'll, we'll see her mm-hmm. more in a moment. So Caesar refused to divorce Cornelia, either he because... He a couple wives. Oh, yeah, he did. He had a bunch. Not as many as Pompey, but he had a bunch. Didn't divorce her. I don't know if it was because of love or he was just a stubborn teenager or whatever. And he fled Rome, fearing for his life. But he may not have had money. He had great family connections, including friends amongst the Vestal Virgins and patrician families. And many people lobbied on his behalf to Sulla, saying, please pardon Caesar. He's a kid. Let him come back to Rome. And finally, Caesar pardoned him. He did make Caesar... Uh, sorry, Sulla pardoned him, made Caesar renounce the priesthood, which was a blessing because... Yeah, because now he could pursue a political career. Precisely right. And legend says that Sulla said, I'll pardon him, but in the Caesar, I see many Mariuses. Which, apocryphal? Yeah. He, He did see it coming. He saw it coming. He tried warning them. Sulla was a smart guy. He was a smart guy. So even though he was pardoned Matteo, he didn't feel comfy cozy being in Rome with Sulla around. So he left home, Matteo, and he went, as many young men do, to seek his fame and fortune in Asia. The army. Oh. Yeah, the army. Oh. He actually went east to serve under the governor of Asia, a guy named Marcus Minucius Thermus. And Thermus, who I guess was acquainted with the family, saw some potential in Caesar and sent him right away. This is crazy. Sent this 18-year-old kid to the court of the king of Bithynia, Nicomedes IV, to negotiate on behalf of the Romans to get ships from, from, uh, from the king of Bithynia. Brilliant or stupid? Crazy. Crazy like crazy. a fox? I don't know. But they, the Romans needed the ships to fight the pirates. We talked about the pirate problem in Pompey's episode. And Nicomedes, upon his death, would leave his entire kingdom to the Romans, which sparked the Third Mithridatic War. But that's coming in the future. Right. Caesar spent a long time there, Matteo. He spent months there. And political rivals later in the Senate would suggest that he stayed on with the king of Bithynia, not just to negotiate, but to negotiate. Mm-hmm. I, like there was, maybe there was something there. There was a there there in terms of... Let's a, not spread gossip. No, right? I'm not. But his... His enemies in the Senate suggested that there was a romantic relationship between Caesar and Nicomedes. There was no proof. There were just rumors. And rumors are rumors. They're they are. just empty. They are. But it's, it's worth mentioning it because Caesar's political enemies would say this about him in, in other occasions uh, to try to discredit him. You know, just throwing dirt on the wall, seeing what would stick. Yeah, like he's just a pansy. Yeah, that's exactly right. A a floozy. Yeah. So Caesar returned uh, to Thermos after a few months, just in time for the siege, Matteo, of Miletin, which was the capital of the Greek island of Lesbos. And he participated in that siege in a military capacity. And during the siege, he saved a Roman citizen's life. And that Roman citizen thanked him and told the Senate that this happened. And as a result of that, 
Caesar won the civic crown. To win a civic crown, you needed to, a Roman needed to save another Roman's life, and you needed uh, some kind of testimony from the Roman that got saved. It's like Boy Scouts. Why is that? Is that a Boy Scouts thing? You did, an active, you did a, a, a good deed or a, hmm. an act, and you, you got your badge. He got, yeah, 100%. He crossed the little old lady across the road. He got the badge. I remember we talked before about grass crowns. A grass crown was given when you saved an army from annihilation. Right. Right. This is a little different. It was slightly less prestigious. It was made of oak leaves. The grass crown was made of simple grass and wild flowers. Mm-hmm. But these crowns, which were a relic of the old republic, were still mm-hmm. super important. Uh, it also meant that the recipient was granted membership in the Senate. I don't know if it was permanent or maybe a one-year membership. And they got other privileges for the well, rest they, of... They were a senator for a year? I, I, just, I don't know. Because I've read, I've read elsewhere that he became a full member of the Senate later. I don't know if they got a, like a, a Senate light membership or what. But they got other privileges. Like, for the rest of his life, when he entered a room, people needed to stand up. It, when he walked through the forum, people needed to applaud. And even if they were more senior to him. And he loved this. Loved it. <clears throat> that's pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. It's it is pretty, pretty sweet. awesome. It is sweet. Imagine you're like a 14-year-old boy that saved yeah. someone's life. Yeah. And then the freaking Pontifex Maximus is just clapping in every yeah. room you walk and into. And everybody stands up. And I just walk in, walk out, walk in, walk out, walk in. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. It's like you and I just came from the mall. We're buying, buying some clothes for, for school. And if you're walking through the mall, and everybody's obligated to just kind of part, stand aside, and clap as you go by, that'd be fun. Yeah. Anyways, he got this, and after the siege of Militin Matteo, the successful siege, for a short period of time, he joined the command of Publius Servilius Vata. Remember Vata? No. Yeah. He was the proconsul uh, in the east that got the nickname mm. Esoricus, the cognomen Esoricus, because he defeated oh, the Esorians. Yeah, okay, I do remember that. And we talked about him last episode because Labinus was also there serving under Vata, and chances are they oh, yeah. probably met there. That's where they became. They're probably tent mates. Yeah, they're they probably tent mates and became buds. They were the same age. Probably they were both of a military were the mindset. Same cohort. Yep. Nice. And and probably trained under a great guy because Vata was was an impressive impressive commander. All right, that takes us to seventy eight B C. Matteo. At this point, Caesar is quick. Do the math. Wait, when was he born again? One hundred. At this point, he is twenty. Well, <laughs> thirty two. Huh? I mean, twenty two. <laughs> 22. <laughs> 22 22 yeah, he's 22 he's 22 that was a bad one so that was bad <laughs> I thought I was giving you a softball so Sula dies I did say 22 first though to be but you were a little a little wavering there. my eyes are closed that's why you were sleeping so in 78 Sula dies Caesar's 22 and he's finally able to relax if you think about it he's been he's had a rough start to life born in the slums dad died early Painless mom raises him. Dictator for life, Sula wants to kill him. I mean, it's, it's an uncomfortable way to go. Yeah, and people are saying he's had an affair with... That he had an affair with, the, yeah, yeah. with Bithynia. And I think you can see in this, Matteo, forget the blue blood. He had a very humble start. And you can see why he had this affinity for the people. Because he was born amongst the people. He for, suffered the same... Yep. The same fates as it well, the yeah. same fate, but he he suffered the same hardships for yeah. a while. Yeah, he's also descended from a god, which isn't which quite is the not, same. Not everybody is. Not everybody. Uh, so he decided at this point, Matteo. Listen, Sulla's dead. My future lies in Rome, but I want to polish myself up a little bit. I want to get back to Rome with tools to ascend the cursus enorum. You know that 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 ladder of. Corporate. Uh, uh, yeah, basically the, the Roman corporate ladder. So he, the first place he wanted to stop before going to Rome was to Rhodes because there was a dude in Rhodes called Apollonius Molon. Right. Have you ever heard of him? Never. Me neither. He was a famed teacher of rhetoric. This is the guy that taught Cicero rhetoric. Oh, damn. And so Caesar wants to go to Rhodes to study for a little while under... Apollonius Molon, because in Roman society and in Roman politics, the ability to speak compellingly uh, was like a superpower. 
Okay. But there was a little problem. On the way to Rhodes. Oh, is that famous story? Oh, yes. And I have a twist in it that you, you're not going to know because I, I didn't know. Or maybe you would know, and, but I didn't. Caesar is captured by pirates, Matteo. Right. This is before Pompey cleans up the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. And the pirates demanded a ransom of 20 talents for him. 20 right. talents. And how did Caesar react? You know this story. Yeah, he was pissed off. <laughs> yeah, he was. Why? Because they thought that was too cheap for him. Yeah. And so he made them demand 50 talents of ransom. And they laughed their rear ends off. They thought this was hilarious. Okay, fine. You don't want to be ransomed for 20. You want to be ransomed for 50. Cool. He spent 38 days with the pirates while the ransom was being raised. And they were buddies. They, he was eating their meals. They would have athletic little Olympic games. He would participate in their games. When he slept and they made too much noise, he would yell, Hey, keep it down! Like buds. The hmm. pirates loved him. They thought he was an absolute hoot. This kid is nuts, but he's super entertaining. Right. And he would tell them in sort of a joking voice, Hey, guys, guess what? Guess what? When I get released, I'm going to come back and crucify all of you. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, Caesar. <laughs> a funny little dude. We should just keep him here. So eventually the ransom gets paid, Matteo. Caesar leaves, raised a small force, returned, captured the pirates and their booty, and here's the twist. Here's the twist. And you don't read this in Wikipedia, but if you go to Plutarch, the original document, you find it. He put them in prison, Matteo, at Pergamum. He captured them and put them in prison first. Then he went to the governor of Asia, a guy named Junius, and said, Hey, Junius, will you please hold a trial and punish these pirates that took me, ransom, uh, took me hostage? Right. And Junius, the Roman governor of Asia, looked at the pirates, looked at the pirate loot, and saw an attractive little opportunity. And he said, hey, kid, you know what? Buzz off. I'll take care of this myself in my own sweet time. So what did Caesar do? I don't know. Actually, I don't know the story. This is, so this is 77. Caesar is now 23 years old. 23-year-old Caesar goes back to Pergamum, takes the pirates out of prison, and then he crucifies every last one of the pirates. He was a man of his word. Damn. Imagine your old buddy Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> when they see him coming back, hey, Caesar, you're back, buddy. What's up, dude? Crucifixion. That's what's up. Yeah. So because when you're, most stories I've heard about this episode is he got released, he went and raised troops, he came back, crucified them. But the, that's, not, that's not what the, the, the kind of contemporary history says. Right. Could you stop with your fingernails? Stop. Finally, Caesar, after this episode, after crucifying his old buds, makes it to Rhodes, spends time polishing his rhetorical skills with Molan. And by the this Molan Matteo, the Romans considered him a mega rock star. He was the only person ever invited to address the Roman Senate in his native Greek tongue. So he was like Neil deGrasse Tyson? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You could completely imagine Neil deGrasse Tyson speaking to the United States Senate with people's eyes glazed over because they felt like they needed to invite him. That's exactly what Mullen was. That's, that's a cool analogy. Neil deGrasse Tyson's so awesome, right? He is super awesome because he can speak science to, to dummies. Yeah. I have a book of his, which I think is called like... Uh, no say um, astronomy for dummies or something like that which this dummy has not no yet no wonder you bought it I have not, <laughs> exactly which I have not yet read anyways a couple of years later in 75 BC um, king of Bithynia dies uh, and the third Mithridatic war breaks out we don't know exactly what Caesar is doing I think he's still in Rhodes at this point supposedly he raised some local troops and skirmished with forces of Mithridates so, so that's cool by 71 BC, this guy is 29 now. Like so he spent a gap. six years studying. Studying rhetoric? Yeah, there's this gap in, in his resume. And we don't really know. Or at least I don't know. I couldn't find it. But what I find interesting about all of this is, and I think you feel the same way, Caesar was kind of, he was not super young when he actually got rolling. Mm-mm, at all. I and thought he was super young. But me too. Always was wrong. So here, he's 29 years old, Mateo, and he gets his first real significant post. He was elected military tribune. Damn. At 29. That's the legal, right? You have to yeah. Be like 35 or something, right? 
I don't know about military trivium. I'm not certain if there was an age limitation or what it was. Hmm. But it, what it means is that people are recognizing now this guy has talent. Right. He may have, Mateo, it's speculation, but he may have served under Crassus in the Third Servile War against Spartacus, the slave revolt. I thought he served under Pompey. No, he did not, ever. Hmm. He may have served under Crassus fighting against Spartacus. We don't know for sure. But we know in the city, this guy was an up-and-coming star. He was extremely popular. Right. And he started spending, Mateo, personal money to entertain the people, entertain the commoners. So, and he started racking up debt. Okay. Trying to make friends and influence people by spending cash on stuff that the little guy in the street loved. But he had a friend in his old, we think, old commander, Crassus, who happened to be the richest man in Rome, one of the richest men in history, that started helping Caesar out when he was really in a pinch. That's pretty nice. Yeah. You know? I think Crassus saw that Caesar had something that Crassus potential. did not. Huge potential and, and a gift with people. Caesar at this point also started lobbying behind the scenes for Sulla's old restrictions on the assembly of the plebs to be removed. Remember, Sulla said one of the things that he did when he, when he cleaned up a uh, shop in Rome was stripping away the power of the assembly of the plebs and the tribunes to be able to pass laws directly. I right? do remember that, yeah. And in 70 BC, Pompey and Crassus were elected consuls, Mateo, and with Caesar behind the scenes... So this is triumvirate, boom, started just like that. Not, it's coming. It's coming, but there was already some collaboration. Wait, so Pompey and Crassus served together before the triumvirate? Yeah, they did. R- remember, right after they defeated Spartacus, yeah, right after they defeated Spartacus, they came back to Rome... Pompey was fast-tracked to consul, and Crassus asked him for the favor of helping him out to be consul. So this was their first time oh, as yeah, co-consuls. Oh, yeah, okay, I do remember that. And in that consulship, they restored the Tribune's ability to pass laws. You and I both speculated, where the heck did that come from? It seems like at least one element of this is Caesar maneuvering behind the seasons. Young, uh, behind the, the scenes, young Caesar. Shortly after this happened, Matteo, Caesar experienced personal tragedy oh yeah his aunt julia which was marius's wife died and his wife cornelia who he had refused to divorce the daughter of cinna also died in childbirth but the child lived and that child's name was julia and who would that be the pompey's wife exactly right so that's kind of gross pompey's wife she's like 30 years younger than yeah yeah Pompey's wife and his true love. After the death of these two extremely important cornerstones of his world, Caesar led funeral processions for both of them separately through the city. And he gave very emotional speeches, Matteo, in front of everybody in the forum for both of them. Now, that wasn't unusual for the death of a revered old woman like Julia, who was this revered Roman matron that everybody loved and respected right. and had been around forever. Right. But it was really weird for you, 27-year-old guy, to go make a speech in the forum when your wife died. But, so the Senate Wait, looked so at her this. name was Julia Julius. Uh, yeah, Julia, well, but, but that, was very, that was very common, though. Like, uh, uh, remember Scipio? Uh, no, but he's not... They, That's a little different because, I mean, did she have a cognomen as well? Julius was not it, the cognomen. It, that's a good question. It? I don't know. I assume the cognomen went with a woman or the female with a wife, but so I don't know. I haven't come Julia, across anything. Julius. Julia Caesar. of the Julii. Yeah. I, I don't know. You're asking me questions. I don't all right, know right, whatever. Still. These are not important questions. No, all. but it's an interesting question. I just haven't thought about it, and I haven't come across it in my research. So the Senate looked at this young kid giving this emotional, emotional testimony to his wife that had just died, tears running down his face. And the senator said, this guy is such a loser. This guy's such a wimp. He's emotional. He's a wuss. But the average dude in the street looked at this and said, damn, I feel the same way about my family. Yeah, he's just like us. 
Not only that, Matteo, but in the procession for Julia, Aunt Julia, Caesar held up pictures of old man Marius. Now, it, it was normal to hold up a picture of a... Picture? St- uh, yeah. Oh, well, the, you know, yeah, a painted image. It was normal to hold these sorts of images in a funeral of a pre-deceased spouse. But not old man Marius, Matteo. No pictures had been seen of old man Marius in for a decade. A decade, yeah. Since Sulla had declared him an enemy of the state. And so this was a huge deal that somehow Caesar got away with. And getting back to that theme of the common man in the street. Common man in the street loved Marius. Right. Had super fun memories of him. He was a novice homo. The guy came from nowhere. He saved Rome from a Gaul invasion. He was their dude. And he tried fighting against the big guys. He did. He, yeah, he fought against the man. That's right. Now... I guess at this point, people were sort of glossing over the fact that he turned into a bloodthirsty murderer and almost took down the Republic. Right. They're just thinking of the good old days. The good old days. Exactly. And so Caesar did something powerful then that also connected him to the little man in the street. And this guy is so freaking brilliant, Matteo, so slick. Shortly thereafter, like immediately thereafter, he married fast. Who did he marry? Sula's granddaughter. And so now he's also connecting himself with... To, to the Sulan line. He has Marius, he has Sula, he has Cinna. Aeneas. He's got it all. He's and, got Aeneas, and plus descended he's from a god. Yeah. Damn. He has slick moves. So Plutarch got an interesting quote here. <clears throat> uh, he, this is a quote of Plutarch quoting Cicero. Cicero said that in most of Caesar's political plans and projects, he, Cicero, saw tyrannical purposes. On the other hand, said Cicero, when I look at his hair, which is arranged with so much nicety, and see him scratching his head with one finger, I cannot think that this man would ever conceive of so great a crime as the overthrow of the Roman Constitution. So he said he looked like a Boy Scout. Yeah, he looks like a Boy Scout. How could a Boy Scout overthrow the government? Well, we shall see. The next year, Mateo Caesar was elected Caester in 70 BC, and he was sent to serve in Hispania. Right. Uh, don't know a lot about it. He was Caester under a guy named Vetus, who was the praetor. Um, but he must have done good things there, and he was certainly learning. And we'll see why shortly, because he's going to return to Hispania in a short period of time. By 65, he's back in Rome. How old is he now? 65, born 100? 35. There you go. Rocked that one. And he keeps up this thing, Matteo, of lavish spending, right? Taking on debt to spend to please the masses. But it's fine because his friend Crassus owns 25% of the world's wealth. His, his friend Crassus is looking out for him. He became Aedile, Matteo. Remember Aedile were the guys that were in charge of maintaining infrastructure? Right. And Caesar's job was to maintain the Appian Way. Right. Pretty prestigious. Right. He spent tons of personal money to improve it, took out debt to do so. And he also sponsored, I like this a lot, 320 pairs of gladiators uh, for public games. And he also sponsored So that's a total of uh, 620 gladiators? Yeah, 640. 40, sorry. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> What's, What's going, going on? What's going on with your, with your basic arithmetic? I'm good I know you are. Oh, well, it's okay. It's a glitch. It's a temporary glitch. So what was this guy doing, Matteo? And Plutarch says the following of him. Caesar was unsparing in his outlays of money and was thought to be purchasing a transient and short-lived fame at a great price, though in reality he was buying things of the highest value at a small price. Which is the people's favorite. Yeah, that's it. He was moving up the cursus honorum, Matteo. Next stop, well, we saw last episode how he got his friend Labinus to change the law allowing the assembly of the plebs to appoint the Pontifex Maximus, right? I'm very scared I just broke this. The chair? I don't think so. Sit down. Okay. If you fall down, we'll explain it to our listeners. Right, we saw in the last episode how Labinus, when he was a tribune of the plebs, changed the law which allowed the assembly of plebs to appoint Pontifex Maximus. So right. it's at this point... In 63 BC, Caesar. that Caesar ran for the office of Pont- chief priest, Pontifex Maximus, even though he was way too young. 
But at this point, Roman law had sort of stopped meaning much, right? Right. Now it was all over the place. It was all over the place. If you had influence and money, then you could make anything happen. When he was running for office, Mateo, he had two big opponents. One was his old boss, Isauricus, Vata Isauricus. But they were on good terms, yeah? Yeah, they were on good he terms. He was an old man now? He was an old man now. And typically this post went to old men. And the other guy was a fellow named Catullus. Uh, Caesar and Catullus did not like each other. And both tried bribing the tribunes to vote for them. Right. But Caesar borrowed more and he bribed more. Yeah. He just had better connections, better profits. That's exactly right. Deeper pockets. Some say the money for his bribes actually came from Pompey, who was very much anti-Catullus. Um... And because, remember, Caesar had been working with Labinus to support Pompey's policies, like the land grants to soldiers. Right. Caesar had also supported, as a senator, the Lex Piratus, or the Lex Galbinia, uh, which was that law back in 67, which gave Pompey pro-consular Three powers years, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, all around the Mediterranean. So on the day of the election, Matteo, for the Pontifex Maximus, Caesar, picture this. Picture the smells of a slum. Or you can't really picture the smells of a slum. Imagine the smells of a slum. Okay. Yeah, and, and there's filth on the ground. And Caesar is dressed in probably a white toga, walking hand in hand with mom out of the slums. Okay. Walking towards the forum. Walking past all the great monuments. And they stop before a building called the Regia, which was the grand official residence of the Pontifex Maximus. And so he stopped there... With his mother, who's dressed up in the finest clothing that she has, and he turns around and looks at her and says, "Mother, today thou shalt see thy son, either Pontifex Maximus or an exile." Why would he be in exile? I don't know. Maybe because people knew that Caesar was bribing officials, and bribery was not a new thing in Rome, but he did it to such a scale that it was really frowned upon. Okay. Perhaps it was for that reason. I don't know. Needless to say, Caesar won the election. And that he became Pontifex Maximus. And that same year, he was also elected. You could hold two positions? He was also elected Praetor. Sure, because the preship and a government position oh, were two kind different of two, branches. Yeah, parallel paths. So, Matteo, Rome in these days was filled with many scoundrels. These are the late days of the Republic. Right. Can you hear a little, a little music in the background? Something? Is there something there? Is there a little... Bum, bum, bum. Oh, bum, oh, yeah. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, It's there. Keep, keep that in the back of your mind as we continue. There's one scoundrel, Matteo, in the late days of the Republic in Rome that merits, like, special mention. This is, this is a little... I'm going to take a tiny little detour from Caesar's story. It's not so much a detour because it's very much integral to Caesar's story. But there was a scoundrel by the name of Publius Claudius Pulcher. Or Pulcher. Okay. How do you pronounce that? P-U-L-C-H-E-R. What do you think? Well, didn't we say that the C is a K? Oh, Pulcher. Okay, I say Pulcher. He came from a very ancient patrician family, Matteo. And in 63 BC, when Caesar was elected Pontifex Maximus, this Pulcher dude was 30 years old, all right? Caesar is 37, Pulcher is 30. He had already distinguished himself, Matteo, spectacularly in all of the wrong ways, right? Right. He had caused multiple mutinies. One. He had an affair with his sister, Claudia. Oh. Not good. Wow. Yes. While she was married to a very powerful senator and former consul, a guy by the name of Lucullus. Nice. He had embezzled. He had murdered. He had forged documents for a fee. You name it, this dude had done everything. He was a little bit like Loki of Asgard. Okay. Like the god of chaos or of mischief, whatever. This guy, even more than mischief, this guy had a gift for bringing chaos wherever he went. Right. Now imagine this. The year is December of 62, okay? Uh, Caesar is Pontifex Maximus. And there was a very sacred, unusual religious event that happened once a year in Rome called the Bona Dea Rites. Bonadea meant, in Latin, the good goddess. This good goddess was a goddess that the Romans had brought from Greece, brought her to Rome, made him their own, like they did brilliantly with so many other gods in the Pantheon. And this event, held once a year, was held, Mateo, in the home 
of the Pontifex Maximus, which was the building called the Regia. Right. It was sponsored by the wife of the, the Pontifex Maximus. For some reason. And it was only for women of the upper class. Men oh, couldn't attend. Not so even. Drinks are free, ladies' night. You know I mean? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. It was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. With the little umbrellas and the drinks yeah. and everything. And not even the Pontifex Maximus could attend this thing. As a consequence, because history is all about men, no one knows exactly what happened in these rites. Maybe it was drinks with little umbrellas and, and fruity drinks. Okay. And, but that's not the point. The point is, the Romans took this thing super seriously. It was a very sacred uh, event. And according to Plutarch, Matteo, this is another one of those things that doesn't show up in Wikipedia. Wikipedia dances around the subject. But Plutarch says flat out, Caesar's wife, Cornelia, was having an affair with this guy, Claudius, the, the god of mischief. Okay. All right. And on the night of this event, the rites of Bonadea, Claudius dressed himself as a woman, apparently, which he did very well. Like, he looked very attractive as a female. Okay. <laughs> and he snuck into the palace of the Pontifex Maximus to seduce Caesar's wife. But a maid saw him, started making small talk, and when he talked, she realized that he may look like a girl, but There's he's not a really a girl. Yeah. yeah. And he was caught and put on trial. This was massively sacrilegious what he did. He, he, he desecrated this, this sacred rite uh, just by being there as a man. That was bad. Then he tried to seduce the Pontifex Maximus's wife on the sacred night. That's, that's extra bad. And he had many enemies, Matteo, including, most importantly, his ex-brother-in-law, the guy who was married to the sister when he had the affair with the sister. Right. He mm-hmm. wanted to see him. They, what's it called? They divorced, though, right? Yeah, they divorced, but okay. he still, he had a bit of a grudge against him. Okay, yeah. So this guy, Lucullus, his former brother-in-law, sued, uh, uh, what's his name, Claudius, for incestum. Incest. That's a capital crime. Should be. It should be. And, and, and in the trial, Caesar was called to testify, Matteo, and he claimed to have no knowledge of events. He didn't say, yeah, yeah, for what? sure. What? Yeah. Why didn't he destroy him? Ah, isn't that weird? Interesting little twist. This Caesar dude was a very shrewd operator. He did not say, yeah, this happened, but he did divorce his wife, saying that, the Pontifex Maximus's wife needs to be beyond suspicion. I don't know if anything happened, but I do know that we shouldn't even have the slightest hint of suspicion. So why didn't Caesar have Claudius's head? And the, the theory is that Claudius was very popular with the people, as mischief makers often are, right? I guess. Why would they be popular with the people? Why would he be popular with the people? I don't know. Well... He did good things for the people. It's like the devil personified. I know, but but, I think you're going to get more sense of that as the story goes on. So Cicero, we haven't talked much about Cicero. He's the guy that pushed for the prosecution of Claudius because he wanted to do Lucullus a favor because he wanted Lucullus to be nice to Pompey. Like crazy little twisted world, right? So I want to prosecute this guy so he's going to be good to me so that I can make him be good to my friend Pompey. Okay. Because, and Pompey, what did he want? He wanted to settle his eastern winds and all these treaties that he had signed without the Senate's consent. Right. So this looked like, this is a slam dunk trial, Matteo, because Claudius lied in court, okay? He said, no, 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 I actually wasn't in town the day of the rites of Bonadea. What an idiot. This guy's but, actually so dumb. Yeah, but everybody knew he was. He was captured that day in town in, in the palace. Uh, but Crassus wanted this thing to end. And so he bribed the jurors of the trial, massive bribes, and Claudius was acquitted. That was the Roman legal system at this stage of the Republic. Nice. Claudius would go on wreaking havoc in Rome, Matteo, and it gets even better. In 59, when Caesar was, was consul, Claudius had himself adopted. Listen to this. This is crazy. Claudius comes from an ancient patrician family, right? Okay. He had himself adopted by a pleb, a guy who was even younger than himself. Claudius is 34. He had himself adopted by a pleb. <laughs> Some random 18-year-old kid. Yeah, so he could say, I'm actually the son of a pleb. He renounced his patrician status, and with Caesar's support, Matteo, he ran for and won Tribune of the Plebs. This guy's pretty funny. Yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> and then he set himself about destroying Cicero, because Cicero tried to destroy him. And he also set himself about destroying King Ptolemy of Cyprus. 
uh, why random little story years before Claudius had been captured by pirates just like Caesar and the pirates wrote to the king of Cyprus saying hey you want to pay the ransom and the king of Cyprus said something like yeah I'll pay two dollars <laughs> and so, <laughs> so yeah why this is so, so funny yeah, <laughs> it is it's amazing so this guy is a man on a mission on December 29th of the year 59 he becomes tribune and he starts punching through uh, pu- pushing through a bunch of new popular laws including Matteo and this is a huge one this blew me away I couldn't believe it he passed a law instituting the grain dole. What? This guy? This, this is tr- the dude. This troll? Loki. I thought that was Caesar. No. It came from Loki. This guy's a troll. The grain dole, for our listeners, is a daily dole of grain, which is the f- staple of Roman diets. At this point in history, the city of Rome consisted of a million souls. Many of them, if not most, were poor, they were slaves, they were ex-slaves, they were ex-soldiers, ex-farmers, they were displaced from the countryside, and they were hungry, having a hard time making ends meet. Loki instituted a grain dole that would feed 20% of the population of the city, and it would remain in place, Matteo, for 650 years. Until the Emperor Heraclius, faced with the extinction of Rome, had to eliminate the grain dole. Damn. And it started with Loki. That's, that's actually hella funny. This guy's like, yeah. a, he's, he's, he's a prankster. Yeah, he's a crazy prankster. I'm a pleb now. Yeah, I'm a pleb. You adopted <laughs> me. in like See? nice it's toga, legal. fancy robes. Uh-huh. By the way, he also managed to get Cicero exiled shortly what? around this time. How? He, he, through a, a sort of complicated legal maneuver, he had Cicero exiled. His property was confiscated in the Palatine. His house was knocked down. And Loki built a temple on top of the, on the property where Cicero's house used to be so he could never rebuild it. This guy's so funny. And Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus, even they knew the guy was like seriously bending the rules, they refused to oppose him because they knew that he was so popular with a common man in the street. By the way, Cyprus, his other enemy, he managed to get this, the status of Cyprus changed from client state to province. So King Ptolemy was left <laughs> without a country. <laughs> And, go, what's wrong and, with this guy? and even better, he had another enemy in the Senate, which was Cato the Younger, that crank. And he got the Senate to send Cato the Younger to be the first governor of Cyprus. So, <laughs> so like, like a, he, the guy was a genius. This guy is so funny. Yeah, he was an absolute genius. And then if that weren't really enough, he got to work, right? He started organize, organizing gangs of street thugs, just like Marius had done once upon a time, uh, you, know, you know, criminals and, and right. uh, gladiators to rough up opponents, like Marius did, like the Gracchi did. And so Pompey at this point realizes the bit with Cicero was too much. Cicero was a friend of his. So he started a process to bring Cicero back from exile. Who? Cicero. No, who's bringing him back? Pompey. Pompey. Oh, okay, okay. And Claudius said, no, no, Pompey, you and I might have been buds, but I hate Cicero. So he, Claudius had his thugs blockade Pompey inside his own house. And from August to December of that year, Pompey Shut couldn't up. leave the house. August to December? Yeah, Pompey couldn't leave That's home. That's half a year. Couldn't leave home. And so Pompey had his own little puppet in the tribunes, which was a guy named Milo, organize his own street gang. So Rome's streets were filled with blood and violence. It's mafiosos now. Ma- mafia dons had their street gangs in the streets, roughing people up and killing their enemies. This is where things like... We've been in this endgame for the Republic for a while, but we just... We're peaking right now. Yeah, we're peaking. We have this troll and yeah. extremely powerful for no reason. Yes, for no reason. And, and Pompey is fighting fire with the same base fire. Right. Which is... I mean, we can't let Pompey off the hook for that as, uh, uh, either. So eventually this Claudius, Loki, is killed by Milo's goons. Milo Aww. is... Yeah. In 52 BC on the Appian Way... They got into a scuffle. He got Claudius injured. Is a lost Roman hero. He, he maybe he he definitely deserves. That's why I spent so much time on him in this episode. I, I wanted I wanted to tell his story. He was laid to rest, Matteo, by his wife Fulvia, who came from also a noble family. That Fulvia would go on in history to marry Mister Marcus Antonius, Mark Antony. Really? Uh, yep. I thought and, Mark Antony. Oh, oh yeah. actually, never mind. Whatever. Continue. And Fulvia had. Claudius laid to rest in the Senate House. But there were still riots in the streets, and Milo's goons, Matteo, set fire to the Senate House. 
and burnt that's, it down. And that's a step too far. It burnt down the Stennett House. And for the next couple of years... It wasn't built by stone? Mm, yeah, I guess it's stone and there must have been some wood. And But at the end of the day, if you get it in a hot enough fire, anything can, can crumble. So sure. for the next couple of years, Mateo, when the Senate met, they were not meeting in the Senate House because it was being rebuilt. They had to meet elsewhere. Where? In the Theater of Pompeii. Oh, yeah, he was a thespian, I forgot. The Theater of Pompeii is an important place. Big mm-hmm. things will happen there in a couple episodes. But anyways, that was Claudius. Mm-hmm. A little window into the hell that Rome was descending into in the last days of the Republic. Now, back to the show. In 62 BC, Mateo, after his praetorship ended, Caesar was given Hispania Ulterior as proconsul. Okay. And I bet you're thinking, that's weird, because I don't remember Caesar being consul. I don't remember Caesar being consul. Aha! Uh-huh. He had never been consul. And yet, again, the rules that Sulla had tried so hard and earnestly to, to reinstate and enforce, yeah, they're out the window again. Yeah, screw those rules. They lasted about five years. They did. And Pompey and Crassus and Caesar deserve a lot of the blame. Well, yeah. They do. Especially Pompey and Crassus, because Caesar is still up-and-coming dude. Pompey and Crassus are the two titans of Rome, and they clearly didn't give a lick about what Sulla had tried to do. Yeah, I mean, they were supporting this guy, Claudius, who is the be- honestly one of the best pranksters of all <laughs> yeah, time. He's one of the best. One of the best. So Caesar is appointed proconsul Mateo, and he's ready to go to Spain, but he can't leave the city. Why? Well, the knee-breakers that had lent him money didn't want to let him go. And so Caesar's buddy Crassus had to pay a few of these guys down or pay them back so that Caesar was able to leave for Spain. And this was Caesar's first real chance to make some money. Right. right? Because as you said, you become governor of a province, you're going to milk it, you right? milk that, yeah. It's an easy money farm. Yeah. And Caesar so wanted to make his mark. He's been waiting his entire life for this. And Mateo, 62 BC, he hasn't really done much. And he is how old? 38. You nailed it. He's 38. So this is an awesome quote from Plutarch on Caesar. Caesar's on his way, Mateo, marching from Rome to Hispania. And this is what Plutarch says. We are told that as he was crossing the Alps and passing by a barbarian village, which had very few inhabitants and was a sorry sight, his companions asked with mirth and laughter, Can it be here too? There are ambitious strifes for office, struggles for primacy, and mutual jealousies of powerful men. Like in little mountaintop villages. Like, right. can important things be happening here? Whereupon Caesar said to them, in all seriousness, I would rather be first here than second at Rome. Why? I just want to be the big man. Oh, yeah, true. Which is, I don't know if you remember. Oh, he rather, so he'd rather be like the greatest. Big fish, small pond. He'd rather be the best F3 driver than the first, than the worst F1 driver. Yes. And you remember in the episode on Sertorius where he said exactly the opposite thing? Yeah. I would rather be the smallest man in Rome than the big man here in Hispania. Caesar was the absolute opposite, which I found so interesting. By the way, there's another great quote from Plutarch around this period of time when Caesar is just arriving in Spain and he was reading a history of Alexander the Great, and he burst into tears. Why? And his friends didn't get it. And, and, and they said, dude, what's, what are you doing? And Caesar said, do you not think it is a matter of sorrow for that while Alexander at my age was already king of so many peoples, I have as yet achieved no brilliant success? Damn. With that mindset, he's going places. Yeah. And 30 years old, he really hadn't done much yet. Mateo, in Spain, he was supremely effective. He led military action, even though the Senate didn't tell him he could. He raised 10 cohorts, took them up into the mountains, fought against hill tribes that had never been subdued by the Romans, the Calici and the Lusitani. The Lusitani would be for around. They'd be They've been around for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the silver mines were, Mateo, up in the hills. Ooh, and silver mines were money. Money, money, money. money. Yep. He was successful. He defeated those two tribes. He captured new territory for Rome, so he expanded the empire. He captured the silver mines, which was loot for Rome, but loot for him as well, a boatload of cash for him. First time he got out of of debt. Spain is known for its silver mines. Yeah. And he also, yes, it is. He also led Rome's troops all the way to the Atlantic for the first time. So there's one little 
additional twist, important. He was super successful in this military action, and he was hailed by his troops as Imperator. And mm. you and I both know that means that he was entitled to apply for a triumph when he got back to Rome. And that, well, I know Caesar would feel on top for of the For a dude world. like Caesar? Yep. Yeah. Things are looking up for him. Then 60 BC, he's 40 years old, he returned to Rome. But, Matteo, there's a little tiny problem. There's a problem. Why? You remember that thing called the pomerium we talked about? Mm. The pomerium was that sacred border of the city of Rome and a returning commander oh, could not bring their swords in. Yeah, exactly like right. Yeah, okay, I do remember that. So Caesar arrived at the pomerium. He was to be granted a triumph, right? But to be granted a triumph, you needed to wait outside the pomerium until the Senate said, yes, we'll grant it to you, right? right? There was a little, little issue though. It, he arrived at the exact same moment as a consular election. Like if you wanted to participate in the next consular election, you needed to be physically present in the city of Rome. In other words, across the pomerium. And it was like the same day. Yeah. So Caesar had a big dilemma. Big dilemma. He applied to the Senate for an exception to this ancient rule saying, guys, please, I know there's this thing, but I want my triumph, but I really want to run for consulship. Could you, couldn't you just... Do a fellow a little favor. Right. And his nemesis, Cato the Younger, organized a filibuster in the Senate. So that Caesar's special request could not be considered or granted. Mm. Because, as you just said... 3D chess. A triumph. Ooh, man, oh man, an ego like Caesar's, he really wants a triumph. Needs that triumph. The average guy would be like, Yeah, I'd rather be the most powerful man in Rome than get a triumph. But you, uh, you know, this guy, egotistical Caesar, right? just wanted everyone to look at him for 30 minutes. Yeah, he couldn't possibly give that up, right? That's what Cato thought. Playing a little game. But guess what, Matteo? Caesar put ego aside. He was playing the long game. He crossed the Pomerium, knowing that he would not be able to get his consulship. On the last day of eligibility to run for consulship, Caesar entered the city and put his hat in the ring. Heading to the big leagues. Well, that was a move that I was not predicting. And I guess neither was Cato. <laughs> no, you and Cato. But were... he did wait to the last day, though. So yeah. I know he definitely was yeah. mulling it over in his head. He waited until the very last day, without a doubt. Poor Caesar. It yeah. was like, it's like when you tell a toddler, here's two great toys, and you can only yeah. have one. Yep. Yeah. That's right. I'm taking you to the Toy Story. I want boom. You need to. <laughs> so Caesar, he for for as emotional as he was, and we've seen that in throughout this episode, and we'll see it in future episodes. He was thinking the long game at all times. So, Matteo, here with Caesar stepping across the pomerium, I think it's the right place to stop episode one of Caesar, so that we don't kill our listeners as they don't kill listen, us. Listen, I know this is the, this is the Caesar episode, but the highlight was definitely uh, Polker. Yeah, Polker. yeah that was That guy was the best. He was the best. He's actually one of the greatest like pranksters of all time. Yeah, without like, a doubt. Oh yeah, King of Cyprus? Let me just take away your kingdom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm so happy you enjoyed it. When I read about him, and I had never heard about him either, I knew you were going to love him, so that makes me happy. It actually made me laugh. Yeah. So That was pretty awesome. I mean, the whole sister thing was nasty. The, yeah, he, he had some issues. But then he was just like, then he just got some random kid on the street to adopt him. And he's yeah, like, exactly. I'm, I'm now a pleb. Yeah. Son right. of a pleb. There's something else he did, which I didn't tell you. His name originally was Claudius. C-L-A-U-D-I-U-S. That was the, 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 the family name was Claudius. But when he got himself adopted by the pleb, he dropped the, he changed the A-U to an O. Claudius. Because Claudius sounded more plebeian or plebeian. Okay. (laughs) And subsequent generations of the family would, after he died, change the last name, spelling the last name back to what it originally was. Claudius? Yeah, because they wanted to be, hey, we're patricians. That guy was just a bit of a... like, no, you're not. (laughs) He was a bit of a weirdo. Bro, imagine the 16-year-old that adopted him. He's just like one of the most powerful (laughs) plebs in Rome now. Yeah. Anyways, so to our listeners... I think we call it here, Matteo. This is the end of episode one on Caesar. 
Please join us next week for episode two of Caesar when we dive into the war for Gaul. Yep. And in the meantime, please do email us at info at lostromanheroes.com. Send us a direct message on Instagram or on Twitter. We're hearing more and more from you guys with suggestions for additions to the list, and we love it. Please reach out to us and stay tuned for more Caesar next week. (laughs) 